This is going to be a little bit different tonight, uh, at least my treatment of it. Here's what I want to do. I want to go back to Romans 7, and I want to, um, I want to read verses 7, 8, and 9. And then, what I have for you tonight is really, I, I'm not sure exactly what to call them. Uh, we can call them applications. We can call them summations. Some of them are more applications than they are summations, and some of them are more summations than they are applications. But what I, what I, guys, um, you may remember a couple of weeks ago when uh, I, I said that what you get here in this section of Romans is an anatomy of sin, and um, it, it is, <clears throat> it's far more sweeping than I think we're, um, than we're aware. And um, uh, my. My hope is that through these applications, uh, you can see just how sweeping is um, what Paul is saying here in verses 7, 8, and 9. So let me read those to you, and we're going to come back and just make some, we'll call them applications. And there's about eight of them. And may I warn you, it's not like we're going to work through a verse tonight. What I'm going to try to do is say, because of what the, the truth that's contained in these three verses... These things we need to think about. These things uh, ought to um, uh, ought to register in our souls as a result of having heard these three verses. Okay, let me read them. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived. And I died. Now, um, what Paul, of course, is doing is trying to tell you the, uh, the, the grand purpose of the law, that it is not useless, that it is not sinful, that it has a purpose. Here's the purpose that it serves. And um, what it does is expose the, uh, the ravages of sin in, in all of us. Um, and then, of course, verse 9, Paul describes, makes a comparison between what, uh, what he was like, or at least in his own opinion, what he was like spiritually before the law came. And then the law came, and whereas before he was alive and sin was dead, when the law came, um, he was dead and uh, he was alive, he was dead and sin was alive. So that's the comparison that he makes. Now, what I want to do is, is just try to make some applications here uh, in response to the truths that, um, that could grow out of these three verses. Okay? There's, there's eight things, and they're all unrelated. They're not dependent on each other. Just eight things that, that these texts ought to spawn in our thinking. Here's the first one. Um, first of all, brothers and sisters, 
Can you say what Paul has said in verse 9? Can you say that? Is this true of you? That is, what you see him saying, this contrast that he is making in his own, in his own life, that is, what, what was true of me before the law came and what was true of me after the law, is that true of you? H- have you found joy in being slain by the law? Uh, now, that's somewhat paradoxical. Uh, joy in being slain. But, guys, it's, it's the, the, the joy comes in the discovery of how bad you are. Folks, the, the joy is the result of... Of coming to know how bad I am and then terminating on the one deliverer for my badness or my sin. The, the, the joy is the result not of some dreary rehearsal of all of my obstinate sinfulness. But the joy is, in the, is comes as the result of my discovery of my union in Christ. That I am in, I am a partaker in a divine nature. That's where the joy comes from, ladies and gentlemen. My union with Christ is my obsession now, not my sin, but my knowledge and awareness and appreciation of my union with Christ only came once I discovered how bad I was. And that was done. That was done to me by the law. Can you say that? Can you say what Paul... Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is true of all of us. Once this was true, but the law came, and now this is true. There is a sense, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a joy that is discoverable only by those who have discovered How bad and dark is their heart. And that is produced when the law comes, when the law came. So that's the first thing that I wanted to... Can you say what Paul has said in verse 9? Now... Secondly, guys, um, most of the people in this room, I'm convinced, um, realize you're fully aware. You understand um, at the base of your soul that the law can never justify you. I'll use this word, but you, you can never equate justification with being saved. But I'm about to do that, which is not a real good... Um, there should be no equality assignment because they're different terms. But just for clarity's sake, most of us realize and understand very fully and completely that the law cannot save you. We understand that. 
But what Paul is seeking to prove in Romans 7, and you need to tuck this this thought away because it's going to come up again and again as we go forward, but not only can the law not justify you, it is also true that the law cannot sanctify you. We We are never sanctified, ladies and gentlemen, by performing certain deeds of the law. That is not how sanctification is accomplished. By trying to bend my will into some kind of greater conformity to law. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, to be, to be sanctified, you've got to be set free from the law. Not only will it not justify you, it will not sanctify you. And, and, I, and let me try to make that a bit clearer. Ladies and gentlemen, our spiritual health, um, seen, let, let's view it first from the negative side, that is, uh, our, our sinfulness is never to be judged in terms, it, only in terms of our actions or our elimination of certain actions. That is, Trying to get a barometer as to how you are doing spiritually can never come in terms of uh, certain actions that you have performed. The way we get an idea of our spiritual health comes always in terms of our reactions to God's holiness and God's law. Gang, if you establish that my spiritual uh, well-being is to be measured by certain um, performances, then what you've done, what you've done is allow the moralist, or the New Testament Pharisee, but the one, the moralist to think that he is doing fine. Now, let me try to illustrate, and the illustration that I'm, the story I'm about to tell you is a very dangerous story. Um, Because some of you are going to walk out of here thinking that I said something that I didn't say. But it does allow me to illustrate my point, and this did happen, and it did happen three weeks ago. Um, Most of you know that, you know, before I I, uh, started Gracie Van, that I did singles for six years and loved every minute of it. It was, um, it was the dream job. You know, I, I, I should have stayed right there. But, uh, uh, you know, I've maintained uh, relationships with singles since then. I have a great interest in singles. Well, so I had another single woman talking. I've always had that problem in my life. But um, I had another single woman talking to me um, while I was up on this elliptical thing again. And um, and she, this is a single woman who does not attend this church. She um, uh, she attends another, I think, very good church here in town. And but she is she's somewhat um, dissatisfied in how her church uh, deals with singles. And so she decided that she was going to look elsewhere for some place where singles were, um, in her estimate. Uh, better minister to. So she went to a certain evangelical, it wasn't this one, 
uh, evangelical church in this church in the city, which is an, another another good church. That's the problem with starting churches in Memphis. There's so many good ones to choose from. But um, she went to a church, and um, her first Sunday there, she was thrilled with the uh, the number of singles that were all around her, and uh, it, she said it was just it was just refreshing to be in that many. Uh, in a room with that many other single folks like herself. So she went back the second week. In the second week, the teacher of the class made this statement. Now, this is almost a quote. Uh, the second part of it is, is less of a quote than the first, but this is almost a quote. If not, actually, I'm quoting her, so I, I'm trusting that she was quoting the teacher correctly. But I am trusting, uh, quoting this woman who said that the teacher said, now here's the danger part, that one mark of a godly man is their... One mark of a godly man is that he drinks nothing alcoholic. Now, if you run out of here saying that I'm trying to promote uh, the consumption of alcohol, that's the danger part. I'm not trying to promote that. I'm trying to make a point. Here's a man who says that a mark of godliness is when you refuse to drink anything alcoholic. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I did singles for six years. Here's the first problem. Probably every, that means that nobody in that room was very godly. It probably means that not too many of you who would in here are very godly. He then went on to say, this is the part that's not fully or accurately quoted. He went on to say that if you refuse to give up um, that propensity, then it just reveals the hardness of your heart and your love of sin. And that's, that's, that's really paraphrasing. But the first half was not paraphrased. Now, ladies and gentlemen, apart from all of your views of the consumption of alcoholic beverages and all that business, I'm not here to promote nor demote. Either one. That's not my point. But do you see what has been done? That is, as long as I behave according to that law in the way that this gentleman said I was to behave, I can now view myself as a very godly man. But if I don't, then I cannot view myself as a godly man. Now, let me take this a step further. Now, this, this did not happen in this singles class. I'm taking it to the next step. Why don't we add a couple of more items to that list? Why don't we just say that another mark of a godly man is that, oh, I don't know, um, um, he doesn't smoke. Or a mark of a godly woman is that she nurses all of her infants. Or a mark of a godly woman is that she makes all the food for her newborn. Do you see what we have done? We have established 
a measurement that allows a moralist to think that his soul is healthy when in fact, ladies and gentlemen, that is not how any of us will ever come to understand either how healthy or ill we are. It can never be measured only in terms of our actions. Our spiritual health, ladies and gentlemen, is to be measured in terms of our reaction to the holiness of God. What does that do to you? We're going to come back to that in a minute, folks. But, gang, I want you to see a couple of things in terms of, again, I'm saying to you, this is number two, my second point, the law will not justify you. It will not sanctify you either. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it with me to John 17. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be bored stiff, but let me tell you, this is vitally important to the people of God. Because we're out there trying to you know, bring ourselves into conformity with the latest group we were a part of. And that ain't the, that ain't the ticket. Now, guys... Again, law cannot justify you. It cannot sanctify you. Now, I'm about to read you a statement that comes out of the mouth of Jesus in the high priestly prayer. This is a, a moment where Jesus is praying to his Father and he makes this request. Verse 17, John 17, 17. Sanctify them. Now, at that moment, Jesus has a perfect opportunity to insert anything that he wants to insert. He can say, sanctify them by making them obedient to the law. Sanctify them by convincing them that they should never drink anything alcoholic. Sanctify them by prompting all the women to nurse their children. He had a perfect opportunity to, to insert anything he wanted to in here. But here's what he says, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. Of course, you, are, you will be sanctified by the truth. The truth can take. But then add to that one other statement in the same prayer in verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. Everything, ladies and gentlemen, that you want to know about eternal life is wrapped up in knowledge of God. Everything that you need, every, every requirement, every, every, every characteristic is wrapped up in knowing the truth about God. That is how we're sanctified, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, I, I haven't got but 17 more minutes, and this is no time to treat this whole subject. It needs massive amounts of attention in my mind. Because I'm telling you, in the, in the, Bible Belt, ladies and gentlemen, we're all convinced that the way that we can become spiritually healthy is by getting the right list and obeying it. And Jesus never mentions a list here. Sanctify them, Father. Sanctify them by the knowledge of the truth. Let it so grip them. And what truth exactly does he have in mind? 
I think verse 3 tells us. This is eternal life. To know you. Everything needed is wrapped up, ladies and gentlemen, in you and I becoming knowledgeable and not just, see, that's why it's, not just um, aware or mentally aware, but to know God. Gang, I can never measure my spiritual health only in terms of actions. Oh, well, I don't do that, and I do do that, and I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I do do this. I'm fine. What you have done is permitted. Anyone in an unregenerate state, because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the non-born-again can stay away from alcoholic drinks. They can do that. They can stay away from cigarettes. They can breastfeed their kids. And they can say, I'm fine. The law cannot sanctify you, ladies and gentlemen. You must be freed from the law. Or you come to a conclusion that most frequently is a false conclusion. We've got to move on. Ladies and gentlemen, here's number three. Here is the preaching of the cross. Here is, here is the preaching of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Here it is. We are all so damned. We are all so lost. We are all so broken. We are all so wicked that nothing but the death of Jesus Christ could save us. Now let me ask you this. What is your reaction to that? Viscerally. When I say to you, you are so broken, so wicked, so lost, so damned, that only the death of Jesus Christ could save us. Do, do you... Are, are you saying, Jimmy, that... that um, that, uh, that, I mean, or what you're saying about me is that, that I'm just, <laughs> you know, that I'm, I'm no better than a, some kind of drug addict or some kind of, God forbid, some kind of homosexual? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. Or, or tell me this, ladies and gentlemen, how do you respond? To what you know about Jesus Christ. What, what is your reaction to Him? Like, like the Pharisees? I mean, they, they were all unnerved by Him. They were threatened. They, they despised Him. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Here's the Gospel. My hope lies in a life that I did not live, and in a death that I did not die. That's my hope. It is completely wrapped up in a life that I didn't live, and in a death that I didn't die. I am far more wicked than I 
ever heard. And I am far more loved and forgiven and accepted than I ever dared hope. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. To somehow back away, to somehow minimize sin is to distort the gospel. Fourth, the measure of our sinfulness, ladies and gentlemen, is the measure of our resistance to the holiness of God, to the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're just nothing more than an expression of the nature of God. It, it's, a, it's our resistance to His holiness, to the Ten Commandments, to the, to the Sermon on the Mount, to the, to, the, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There you can find your sin, ladies and gentlemen. Not in your doing this or not doing that, or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. You know, it is, here's how you can discover the depth of your sin. How do we respond? Basically, if I, let me just put it like this. How do we respond to the nature of God? Are you drawn to Him? Are you repelled by Him? Is He beautiful? Or is he something else? Is who he is something that you long for? How do you respond? Not to some code, not to some law. How do you respond to the nature of God? In the first and second person. And in the third person, but we don't know as much about him. That is the measure of our sinfulness, ladies and gentlemen. Not that, oh, well, you know, I drank a glass of wine over Christmas. I must be wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil snickers at such foolishness. Here's fifth. Gang, do not make this mistake. The mistake that obligation implies ability. Have you ever heard that? Arminians talk about that all the time. Obligation implies... What, 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 is, what is meant is that God would never command us to do something unless we were able to do it. I, I, hear, that in, I hear that a lot. That God would never command you to do something that you weren't able to do. The exact opposite of that is true. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole function of the law was not to inspire you to go out and obey. The function of the law was to kill you and to prove to you that you cannot do it and to take all of that sinful, foolish pride out of you and kick all that ugly self-confidence out of you and to prove to you that you can't do it. That was the purpose. And to come up, I mean, this nonsense about obligation implies ability. No. The goal of the law was to bring us all to the same conclusion. We are unable. That's what Paul is teaching in verses 7, 8, and 9. Sixth. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no state that is more dangerous spiritually than to feel 
that we are not sinful. I started to use the word, there's nothing more dangerous than to feel that we are not sinners. But you know, you talk to um, 21st century man and they'll all say, oh yeah, well sure, I'm a sinner, everybody's a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, well, we all just, you know, we, we have these little foibles. I'm not saying that. The most dangerous spiritual state to be in is not to think that, oh, well, I have the potential of sin. No. The most dangerous spiritual state is to feel that we are not, at the core of our being, sinful. Ladies and gentlemen, those who feel, those who do not feel that have never met the law. It has never come to them like Paul mentions in verse 9. When the law came, sin revived and I died. Um, I'm about to tell a story and I want you to know, Larry, I made a phone call this morning and got permission to use this story. So, okay, good. I didn't want to do this without uh, Kathy's permission. But when um, Kathy and Roy Williams first came to our church, we met them on a ski trip, a church ski trip, and, and Kathy and Roy kind of got um, hooked up with Gracie Van people and kind of liked uh, some of the people out here and, you know, saw some pretty little folks out here. And the, the, so they started coming. And I can, I'll never forget it. I remember standing in that little eating hall that you just left with Kathy, and she kept saying, well, I just don't get the sin business. And it's almost exactly that. I mean, it was, I, I just don't understand the sin thing. And um, Kathy wrote me a note, and I, I forget how long ago it was. I mean, things, you know, kind of compress in my, uh, but she wrote me a note. And uh, let's say eight months ago. I, I don't know. Sometimes she said, you know, Jimmy, remember the conversations we used to have about, I don't understand the big deal over the sin thing. She said, I understand it now. The law came. Does she understand it perfectly, fully? No, 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 no. none of us do. But guys... To not feel the, the, the soul's condition is a very dangerous state to live in. Can I tell you the gospel again? The gospel is, we're safe because of a life we didn't live and a death we didn't die. There he is. You flee to that. You don't flee to some kind of supposed good behavior. Some of you smell better than the others. That doesn't change things. At the core of our being, we are dark. So much so that only the death of Christ could save us. Um, what the law has done, folks, when the law comes, it convinces us of that point. Now let me let me I got two more. Number seven. The first sign 
And this is another one of those wonderfully glorious, beautifully joyful paradoxes. But the first sign of spiritual life is to feel that you are dead. That's what Paul says in verse 9, ladies and gentlemen. Sin revived and I died. The first sign of spiritual stirrings in my soul is that, that I am dead, that there is a sense of helplessness. When I feel that I'm dead, then and only then can I be resurrected. There's now hope for me. Because all of that silliness about my blamelessness and my not being as bad as the next guy, and I'm not Lily White, but I'm a pretty nice fellow, that stuff comes crashing to a conclusion. If you feel utterly hopeless to save yourself, then you're alive. And the law has done its work. It killed you to make you alive. You you call that a paradox? I, I guess so. But it really isn't, ladies and gentlemen. It's the gospel. The law has taken you by the hand, having slain you, and introduces you to incarnate life. Once you feel that you are dead, then you have the signs that you are alive. Um, this is not exactly what I'm saying, but kind of. A sense of his absence is a sign of his presence. When I feel I'm most hopeless, then I'm most hopeful. Because the law's done its work. And then finally, what is it that makes the massive majorities of the world oppose and fight and dislike the gospel? What, what is it that they hate so much? By the way, guys, I, I read an article. We had a little meeting today. and this, If you think that I'm talking about hell, fire, and damnation preaching, I hate that term. I hate that caricature. It is silly to me. I'm not preaching hell. I, I believe in a hell, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the gospel is far better news than any of us ever dreamed. But what is it, that was kind of an aside, what is it that, that the world so detests about the gospel? Here's the explanation, ladies and gentlemen. It is the inner sense that they are still alive. The law has not done its work. It is the inner sense that basically... I'm doing fine spiritually. And to be told what I'm telling you is offensive in every way. I'm suggesting that what Paul has taught here is that the first indication that we have a hope in Christ is when we have come to utter hopelessness. 
And what has done that? The law came. I hope those are helpful concepts. Let's go. Our Father, I do pray that you will convince your people that the only way that we're ever going to proceed and make progress spiritually is not in doing goodies, but in being overcome with beauty. The beauty that is found and lies in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Oh, might that ravish our hearts. Sanctify us, Father. Sanctify us by the truth. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you and good night.